You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in to 3CR's program, Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone, you're listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855am. This is part two of our chat with Maggie McNeil and joining me is co-host Kitty Galore. Hi Kitty. Hi Dean and welcome back to the show Maggie. Oh thank you very much, it's my pleasure. And with the documentary The War on Whores, from what I saw there's a message of how vile the government officials, the police entrapment, uh, society outrage or moral panic against sex workers and sex work is in America. What I did like was that it was very uh, clear message of this is what's happening in our society with the involvement of yourself, uh, you know, all the, all the people involved in this project. Did you find it hard to sort of rein it in and not be angry and, uh, and upset on camera? Because I would be screaming and shouting and saying the F word. I think my style is when I'm speaking is to have more this kind of undercurrent of passion like, in other words, that people can detect the passion in me when I'm speaking. It's kind of like an underground river. You know it's there and you feel it. It isn't geysering out in, in the open. It's just my natural style. It's probably what makes you the cat's meow, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. I don't know. It's just, it is just my, you know, the way I've always done things. It's just, I mean, it's not, I can't say that I, I never get angry uh, because I certainly do. And, and certainly um, on my blog, they have some very choice words uh, for prohibitionists quite often, and I do not rein it in. But I think that there's a difference in the printed word and speaking. Even when you're angry, writing, when it's, when it's chat, I think is, it's a little different than when you're speaking. I think people, people perceive it differently. I think people do know that there's editing going on and such, and so when they see uh, me using profanity and such in my text writing, I think that they are very aware that to a degree there is some calculation there because I certainly could have edited that out later if I had I wanted to. But when you're on camera, it seems more spontaneous. And I think that that makes a, a, a difference in how it's perceived. Does that make sense? Yes, I think Maggie's very much like Dean and myself where we reserve the special words for when we do want to make an extreme exclamation about things and you know it's it is the right way forward when we're advocating for sex worker rights because you know when we appear in parliament or when we speak to politicians you know you want to come across as someone who's reasonable and whom you can have a conversation and a discussion with and that's exactly the types of people we are anyway we're really not hiding or trying 
at all to be someone else. No, exactly. And it's funny you say that, Kitty, because when I first started sex work 20 years ago, that was something I realized very, very quickly was that I really can't do a persona. Part of my brand as a sex worker is that what you see is what you get. I am no different to clients than I am to anybody else. I mean, the only difference is, of course, maybe that with a client, I'm not going to share if I had a bad day or something, because obviously that's not what they're paying mm-hmm. me for. You know, they're paying me for a good time not to hear my problems. But other than that, my personality, my opinions, all that, it's all the same. I'm just not any good at creating a, um, a, a persona. You know, I'm just really much better just being myself. It's really interesting because when I first started doing sex work, I had to pretend that I liked fishing. And now I actually really do. <laughs> After meeting so many clients um, who shared their love and knowledge about fishing, like I actually turn on the television and watch River Monsters or The Deadliest Catch, and I really enjoy fishing now. <laughs> Assume a virtue if you have it not. <laughs> So, Dean, you were mentioning about Maggie McNeil's book and Maggie touched based on it. Maggie, can you let our listeners know what you've actually written? As of right now, I've got four books out. Uh, Two are short story collections and two are essay collections. The first one was called uh, Ladies of the Night, and that's a short story collection. Uh, The second one is also a short story collection. It's called The Forms of Things Unknown. And then the two essay collections are The Essential Maggie McNeil, volume one and volume two. Currently, I'm working on um, another one called Ask Maggie, which is a compilation of all the advice columns I've written over the past 10 years. And that's going to be two volumes also. With your writing, what else would you like to do? Nonfiction is, is what I'm best at. Fiction is what I enjoy. <laughs> so I write uh, short stories because I like to write them. I write essays because I, I feel compelled to write them. So there is a difference, and I find it's a little easier for me to write essays. Well, I should say it's easier to control essays. In other words, when I sit down to write an essay, nine times out of ten, what comes out is what I thought would come out. What I planned is what I imagined, and with stories, it's, it's the opposite. With stories, sometimes what, when I sit down to write a story... I'm not entirely sure what's going to come out onto the page. There have been times when I sat down thinking I was going to write one thing, and that's not what came out at all. There's one of my stories called Nothing Ventured. It's in my second collection. And I was in a really black space, um, you know, emotionally when I sat down to write it. And I really thought it was going to be something dark and awful and scary. And instead, what came out is this optimistic little tale of a, of a woman and a, and a child. And it was just very strange. That's what came out of my head. That sounds like such a beautiful read. Where can I go and find this, Maggie? Amazon. Amazon's the easiest thing. And search on Amazon for Maggie McNeil. You will find all four books and uh, The War on Horse, although Amazon is a bit prudish. And so Amazon insisted we call it for Amazon, the War on Sex Workers. But it is still the same movie, and when you actually watch it, there's no difference. There's also a few other things that will pop up from other people named Maggie McNeil, but you'll be able to tell them pretty quickly from mine. Well, we'll be making sure to include links directly to Maggie McNeil's books on our Twitter page, which is at BCD3CR, and also a direct link to Maggie McNeil's documentary, which can be found both on Amazon and on Vimeo. Maggie, for the future in terms of your writing, what is on the cards for you? 
I'm supposed to release that Ask Maggie, as I mentioned, and then I have volume two of that to do. And then after that, I want to do a compilation of all the, what I call my harlotographies, which were short bios of, of famous sex workers throughout history. And so that's early next year. I plan to have that one out. After that, another short story collection. So I've got about four books in the pipe, so to speak, uh, that I'm sort of planning. I haven't actually worked on those other ones yet, but I'm, my brain wants to do them and and I have them sort of outlined. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors. We are Australia's only six-worker radio show on 3CR 855 AM and digital. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Hi, everyone, and welcome again to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. We are Australia's only sex worker radio show. I'm Dean, and joining me is Kitty and our very special guest, Maggie McNeil. Hi, everyone. Hello, hello. And we've been talking with Maggie about her involvement with the documentary, The War on Whores. Maggie is actually more than that, not just a sex worker. She's also a very, very good writer. Love her blog, which is The Honest Courtesan as well as an author of novels. What sparked your interest in writing? I have always written. I've written ever since I was a child. Uh, I remember, it's very funny you asked that, because when I woke up this morning, for some reason, you know how sometimes things just pop into your head. I remembered an article I wrote for my school newspaper when I was probably in fifth grade, I would think, about a friend of my mother's who owned a, uh, a private plane. And I came from a very small town. And so this was strange and interesting. And I went and interviewed him. And, you know, my, my little whatever, whatever, however old you are in fifth grade, 10 years old, I guess, my little 10-year-old self asking questions about the airplane and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think that it was that teacher that was in fifth grade who really pushed me. I mean, I'd always been interested in writing. But she was the one who said, no, you can do this, and encouraged it, uh, gave me a lot of praise and good feedback. So I, I kind of, I think if I have any one, one person to thank, it was probably that, that teacher. You seem so passionate about your writing, which is a great read. What made you so passionate about sex workers' rights? I have always been a very anti-authoritarian person. I've never been able to submit myself to arbitrary authority. In other words, if I go to a doctor and a doctor says to me, hey, to cure this ailment you have, I need you to do this thing. Well, that's not arbitrary authority. That's an authority that I've accepted. He's going to help me to, you know, to heal a a sickness. I'll be very good about following medical orders and things like that. Or like when I've been involved in, in court cases, you know, my lawyer says, I need you to do this. But when some stranger just starts giving me orders and saying, no, you must do this, or you must do that, or you can't do this, or you can't do that, I'm not going to respond well to that. Unlike some people, I don't believe in rights for me, but not for thee. I feel as though since I am that way, that I owe other people the same. I I need to to, to fight for other people's right to not be subjected to arbitrary authority. And so that's where I think my thing for sex worker rights, my passion for sex worker rights comes from in that um, 
I just, I'm just the person who doesn't believe in injustice. And I don't, I don't like injustice. I don't like tyranny. I don't like people trying to control other people. It just makes me angry. It makes me upset. And I feel like I have to do something about it. I guess I'm very much the same, except I don't describe myself using those words. What was it again? Anti? Anti-authoritarian. And um, the way I see it is that we are the type of people who put a lot of weight on ethics and we acknowledge that there are some laws that are not ethical, that are out of date, that don't uphold the rights of people, that actually condemn or discriminate. And that's why those laws need to be changed. So when we see injustice like that take place and be allowed to take place in our world, it does upset us. And therefore we have to stand up and say something about it. Well, you know what, it's going to sound a bit funny, but I suppose this is the sort of thing I think that uh, people who listen to radio shows and watch documentaries kind of enjoy that a little look inside of my head. When I was a child, I was a very, very big fan of comic books and especially superhero comics. I still and am. <laughs> you are, I, I am too. I, I don't collect them as much anymore because, you know, it's a very expensive hobby. But as a child, I was very big on that. and. One of the things, of course, about superheroes is that, you know, they're operating outside the law. And so they all have to have this very strong, ethical, moral center that, no, I'm doing these things because they are right. And there are some things I can't do because they're not right. And, and that, that having a personal moral code. Uh, so I learned that when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And I think I've never changed. I kind of have that, um, you know, having to have that moral center and have your own rules for your own moral behavior uh, and what you accept is right and, and wrong. Mm. Maggie, in terms of the activist uh, point of view in Seattle and in America, and again, we, I'm going to refer back to the documentary, The War on Whores, there seems to be a, an undercurrent of times are changing. And similar to what we're having in Australia, where, you know, decrim is finally on the horizon and, you know, we're so close to achieving it now in the state of Victoria, which is where we're based. How do you see the future of the, the sex work decrim movement in the States? Well, one thing I've said for a very long time, and sometimes people don't like to hear this, but it's evidence-based. I look at every single time a restriction on sex, a, a bad law controlling people's sexual behavior has been gotten rid of in the United States. It has always been due to a Supreme Court case. It has never happened at a legislature. So we have things like uh, interracial marriage, decriminalization of gay sex, decriminalization of private use of birth control. All these things were all decided, you know, abortion rights, they were all decided by Supreme Court case. And I don't think sex work is going to be any exception. I think that when decrim comes in the United States, it will be because the Supreme Court has turned over those laws. I think what's going to happen in the US, it's going to look more like Roe versus Wade, which was the, the decriminalization of abortion, than Lawrence versus Texas, which was the decriminalization of so-called sodomy. And I think because once Lawrence versus Texas happened in 2003, all the laws against gay sex kind of fell by the wayside pretty quickly. Whereas abortion, they're still fighting, but it's almost 50 years later. I have a fear that what's going to happen in the U.S. is it's going to be more like 
uh, abortion than like gay rights in the sense that the Supreme Court will say it's no longer okay to make laws against prostitution per se. And I think a lot of the states are going to turn around and say, oh yeah, well, if we can't make laws against that, then we're going to make laws against advertising it. And we're going to make laws against, well, you know, sort of like what's, what's common in, in the former British Empire, you know, the pimping laws, the uh, soliciting laws, the, you know, maintaining a body house, that sort of law, I think. Um, I'm afraid that there's going to be a, quite a, a few years of that after uh, official decriminalization in the U.S., so some states might completely get rid of the laws and say, okay, no problem. Whereas other states, I think, are going are gonna to fight it. It sounds like everyone in the United States have a long road ahead of you. It's definitely well worth the fight. Sex workers like Maggie McNeil's paving the way. You know, she's reaching out, she's face forward, she's writing her books. She's not only showing that she has the capacity to talk about these difficult topics. You know, sex workers are more than just sex work. We are also creative artists. We're writers, we're presenters, you know, there's so much more to sex work than just the sex worker aspect of us. Well, Kitty, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because um, one of the most important moments, I think, in my activism, it was a very small thing. It meant a lot to me, and I think of it often. One time I got an email from a university professor a philosophy professor, and he told me that he wanted to thank me because he had previously used to teach his students that prostitution was intrinsically damaging, and I had changed his mind, and so now he was going to teach all of his students about sex worker rights, and I was just floored by that. I am that, floored um, by that. That's amazing. It is amazing. It is, and so when you think about it, that, that means not only did I influence one person, who actually read my work, but in a secondary sense, he's going to be, you know, carrying that message to thousands of university students over the rest of his career. I mean, this is something that we have always talked about on our show Behind Closed Doors, which is, you know, we want to end stigma. And how do we do that? Because it's such a, a huge word. And that is really done through information, through advocacy, uh, through having a conversation with people about what we do, who we are, and that we are more than our work. We are more than just being sex workers and we're just human beings. And I think once we destigmatize, we reveal the layers of the mythology of being a sex worker and reveal that we're just regular folks, I think that's when we can be on a path towards decriminalization of sex work and of educating and informing the public. Yes. Oh, sure. And I, I think that um, in the United States, social media has been just a tremendous thing because it's so much more difficult. You know, back in the old days, the prohibitionists could control the narrative. If they had money, they could be the ones that could produce the documentaries, so to speak. They were the ones that the cops would talk to. They were the ones that the legislators would talk to. But now, an ordinary person who doesn't know one way or the other, who just, you know, has no information, they can go on social media and they can see sex workers speaking for ourselves. The old canard that, oh, well, you're not representative and you don't, you know, there's, a, there's this vast voiceless group of oppressed sex workers. That doesn't ring true when anybody can get a Twitter account. You know, people are beginning to see that. I think that the, the, the public is just beginning to see, yeah, well, if supposedly most sex workers are miserable and oppressed, why are all the ones I see on Twitter and everything else, why are they not like that? Why are they not saying that? After a short announcement, let's continue this conversation with Maggie McNeil about 
the ways of how people perceive sex work and sex workers. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR. You know, we've had such a good discussion about the difficult laws that have been oppressing sex workers and how we need to always choose and fight for ethics over discriminatory laws or outdated laws. Maggie's just raised a really good point about how social media is helping us to defy that stigma. Oh, tremendously. tremendous! And I think in the United States especially, for a very, very long time, sex work was a radioactive topic for American politicians. A, a, a politician, even if they believed in, in decrim or even just some sex worker rights, something other than full-on criminalization, they simply couldn't say that. It would be political suicide. And in the past two years, we've seen a big change where all of a sudden politicians now, it's still not the majority of politicians by any stretch of the imagination, but it is not political suicide anymore. Uh, There's a a large number of politicians, um, especially members of the the Democratic Party. You know, in the United States, we only pretty much have two uh, main parties, the Democrats and the Republicans. The Democrats have seemed to to be okay with it now, even to the point, and this is kind of one of those things that's bad, but it's also good. We even had um, a few presidential candidates who were giving lip service, saying that they were open to decriminalization. Now, what they really meant, if you drill down into, into their positions, they really met the Swedish model. They did not mean true decriminalization. However, even though that part is bad, the very fact that they feel comfortable discussing sex work at all, and the fact that they seem to know that the word decriminalization is a positive thing, even if what they're describing is not really decrim, the fact that they're trying to appeal to people who want decrim is, I think, a good sign. It's one step forward. Yes, yes. And the thing about decriminalization, I mean, yes, let's acknowledge that it is a big word. You know, going back three years ago when I first started doing community service work for our sex work industry here, you know, (laughs) when I was introduced to this, I was like, what? I just want to teach sex workers how to make more money. That's all I cared about. And someone said to me, Kitty, if you really cared about our sex work community, then you need to learn about decrim, you need to fight for decrim, and you need to start being political. And I just said, you know, I'm not a very political person. That's none of my interest. I just want to help sex workers make lots of money so that they can go ahead and pursue their dreams, whether it's to do more sex work or to start their own business or do whatever it is they want to do, you know, just want freedom. This person just set me down and said, no, Kitty, like decrim is the first step. And it's only since then, and the patients from organizations like Sex Work Law from Victoria, where I've learned what decrim is about and why it is so important. Because, you know, even though in Australia and Victoria, with the state where I live, it's different from obviously how you're operating in Seattle. You know, we're still not decriminalized. Like there are things that sex workers can do, or perhaps they might show their nipples and and they could be locked up. I mean, however, there is an aspect where we could still be criminalized. And it is funny, isn't it? How I remember commenting on my blog a few years ago about that law about not showing nipples. I illustrated the the item with a picture from my own uh, escort website where my nipples are clearly visible. And so it's really funny that in the United States, my job is illegal, but my advertising is not. 
Mm. It's the complete flip side. Yes, it's weird. Well, that's that's partly because in the U.S. you mentioned the the, the Second Amendment to our Constitution earlier, gun rights. But of course, the um the First Amendment, uh, which is the speech speech rights, that's a very strong uh, right in the United States. And even though most of the other rights in the Bill of Rights, the other the other nine, have been undermined to to one degree or another, the First Amendment is still fairly strong. Uh, up until the last couple of years, you you started seeing more calls for censorship and more undermining of it. But that's a very, very recent phenomenon. And so in the U.S., it is odd in that you can't do sex work, but there's a whole constitutional amendment protecting my right to talk about doing sex work. It's crazy, isn't it, where we are in the state of Victoria. When we have our own advertising, we can't actually mention what we do we can't even mention the word massage that's right so we have all these crazy laws regarding certain wording we can't use we have crazy laws regarding what we can't show how do you have a business where you can't talk or show your products or your services that doesn't make sense at all so we have laws that are not fit for purpose that definitely need to be changed and you know we hope to see that changed very very soon well, thank you so much, Maggie, for uh, chatting with us on Behind Closed Doors. You're welcome, Dean. And thank you too, Kitty. I- I've really had a good time. It's been our pleasure. Thanks, Maggie. This is Fancy by Bobby Gentry. Tune in to the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. I remember it all very well. Looking back, it was the summer I turned 18. We lived in a one-room run-down shack on the outskirts of New Orleans. We didn't have money for food or rent, to say the least, we were hard-pressed. Then Mama spent every last penny we had to buy me a dancing dress. Mama washed and combed and curled my hair, and she painted my eyes and lips. And then I stepped into a satin dancing dress that was split on the side, cleaned up to my hips. Well, it was red velvet trim, and it fit me good. And staring back from the looking glass was a woman where a hat broke kid and stood. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Lord, forgive me for what I do, please. But if you want out, well, it's up to you. Now, don't let me down. Your mom's going to help you move uptown. She kissed my cheek And I saw the tears well up in her troubled eyes When she started to speak She looked at a pitiful shack And then she looked at me and took a ragged breath Your paws run off and I'm real sick And the baby's gonna starve to death She handed me a heart-shaped locket That said to thine own self be true And I shivered as I watched a roach Crawl across the toe of my high-heel shoe It sounded like somebody else that was talking Asking, Mama, what do I do? Just be nice to the gentleman, Fancy, and they'll be nice to you. Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down. Here's your one chance, Fancy, don't let me down. the last time I saw my ma the night I left that rickety shack cause the welfare people came and took the baby ma died and I ain't been back but the wheels of fate had started to turn and for me there was no way out 
And it wasn't very long till I knew exactly what my mom had been talking about. I did what I had to do, but I made myself a solemn vow. That I was gonna be a lady someday, though I didn't know when or how. I couldn't see spending the rest of my life with my head hung down in shame. I might have been born just plain white trash, but fancy was my name. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. Here's your one chance, fancy, don't let me down. It wasn't long after a benevolent man took me in off the street. And one week later I was pouring his tea in a five-room hotel suite. Yes, you were. Well, I charmed a king, a congressman, and an occasional aristocrat. And I got me a Georgia mansion in an elegant New York townhouse flat. And I ain't done dancing. That would call me bad And criticize my mama for turning me out No matter how little we had And though I ain't had to worry About nothing for now 15 years I can still hear the desperation In my poor mama's voice ringing in my ear Here's your one chance fancy Don't let me down Uptown. And I guess she did. 